Welcome back to yet another episode of the Soccer Kaki's podcast. Uh, my name is Vikram, I'm Jack, and today we will be doing a review of the La Liga matches over the past weekend. I know it's been a while, it's some time after the matches have transpired, but you know, hey, a lot of things have developed and we are glad we waited as long as we did because uh, a major update has uh, sort of uh, occurred in the Camp Nou uh, uh, arena per se or rather the Barcelona camp uh, actually there was also Bas- an update in the Camp Nou arena physically speaking but that wasn't what you were hinting <laughs> at <laughs> no no that was not what I was hinting at at all um, but yeah you know I guess we sort of kick things off let's let's talk about um, you know the two matches in brief before looking at the implications for both uh, first off let me say that you know I got my predictions right with regards to Atletico Madrid and Real Sociedad you and Russell laughed at me for saying 2-2 it ended up being 2-2 <laughs> so Fair enough. Um, you know for those of you who listen to me and placed your bets I hope you guys are rich men now or rich women um, but I don't think many of you listen to me, so jokes on you as well. Um, jokes aside, though, let's let's talk about both matches. Let's start off with El Clasico, though. You know, that's a bigger match. Uh, no, no offense to Atlético Madrid and uh, La Real, but I mean, it is the bigger match of the two. Um, Real Madrid win two one. David Alaba scores a sensational strike first before. Uh, Lucas Vasquez scores uh, deep into stoppage time and when you think it's all over another El Clasico debutant uh, Sergio Aguero you know scores uh, in the 97th minute but I guess it's too little too late for the Catalans it was 2-1 to Los Blancos Real Madrid win the battle of Camp Nou in this El Clasico fixture thoughts Jack I know you have a lot of thoughts but when you saw that score, you know, when you saw that match, right, at the end of the 90th minute, what came through your mind? Or what went through your mind? Well, I was, well, firstly, as an American, I was a little bit, you know, embarrassed by the fact that I think a good amount of Barcelona fans are going to remember Serginho Dest's mess. Oh, God. Because the guy yes. should have scored. And I he thought that have. that was bad enough until he did the exact same thing against Raya the other night too. So <laughs> uh, he's a right back. We'll give we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But that's true. Yeah, but it wasn't still, good from an American yeah. perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Being, I think, the first American to play in El Clasico. That's not a way you want to make your El Clasico nod. But yeah. on the yeah, whole, sure. I think it's kind of funny that. I mean, there were four games in La Liga on that Sunday. Three of yep. them were really, really good. None of those three were all Classico. <laughs> and it's sort of weird how we're in that position now. That Obviously, I don't think... I, I say that partially to, you know, be nice to our friends over at La Liga, but also because it is true. There were three really, really, really good games in La Liga on, on that Sunday, and El Clasico yeah. was the ugly duckling of the pairing, which isn't normally how it works out. We're also not used to an El Clasico where both of Real Madrid's goal scorers were their, was their center back and their right back. Yeah. It's not usual. But yeah, I think the thing that really set it apart is that it didn't really feel a lot like a big game. It just felt like Real Madrid 
sort of going into this to get a workmanlike performance away from home like you would if you're going away to Stoke or something like that, not going away to Barcelona and El Clasico. And I think that's sort of the sign of how much El Clasico has dropped off, unfortunately. You you could definitely tell that these are both teams that are in a rebuild, obviously with Real Madrid further along in that rebuild. But Compared to, it's, yeah. it's definitely not what we were so incredibly fortunate to have witnessed over the last decade when it comes to yeah. incredible games in this rivalry. I mean, you're not wrong in that sense um, at all, I suppose. But, I mean, I guess there was drama towards the end, uh, sort of. Um, interesting to see Sergio Aguero play, though, of course. Um, you know, at least to my knowledge, it, it, it dawned on to me that uh, man was not going to play a single game for Barcelona. But uh, it was interesting to see him <laughs> score in El Clasico. Yeah, and he started against Rayo yesterday, too. In the yeah. striker matchup, the best striker matchup that 2012 could offer between him and Radamel Falcao. But yeah. Um, yeah, I was also under the same pretense as you that it didn't really seem like Sergio Aguero was going to play, mainly because of injury issues and the fact that it's not really confirmed, but it's sort of collectively understood that he only went to Barcelona because of Messi. And now that Messi's gone, yeah. he wants to leave. So yeah. It was sort of understood that, you know, he's not going to play while he's injured. And then when he comes back from injury, we're going to be near the January window and he's going to leave and probably go to MLS in January. So I'm sort of surprised to see him play. I'm surprised to see him score. I wonder how many Barcelona goals he's going to get between now and January when he leaves. Right. <laughs> He'd end up being a nice little bit of bar trivia. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> how many goals does Sergio Aguero score for Barcelona? If it just ends up being this one, <laughs> be the only Barcelona player to ever only score in El Clasico or something like Clasico, that. Cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> Paul, you know, man. Paul, you know. But I guess sort of going back to the El Clasico fixture, you know, a couple of things that sort of transpired that were important points that other people might not have noticed that we sort of talked about during our podcast with Russell. Uh, well, for one, David Alba's back in centre-back position because clearly Fulham Mendy's been thrown into <laughs> first-team responsibilities now that he's fully fit. Um, interesting to see that because I know I had some concerns over whether he would you know, begin uh, begin the match or start the match rather because he's been out for quite a while. And yes, he did start a match against Chuck Dardonez, but that was during the midweek. I, I didn't think Real Madrid would have wanted to sort of rush him back into the starting lineup, but perhaps maybe that's a sign that they are taking the fixture seriously against Barcelona per se. I mean, end of the day, I don't think I think you're right to some extent in that the magic of the night um, has faded away in recent years. I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that Messi has left per se, but I think that has to do more with the fact that both teams are in a rebuild and which you sort of you know touched on. But also, you know, a pertinent point would be the fact that Real Madrid needs to get all three points to sort of, you know, um, keep that title race with the rest of the pack at the top, what, top four, top five? Uh, top like know, seven to or something. Top it's seven or something. It's it is very cramped up there. <laughs> it's good though. It's good. Very good for neutral fan. If, if, oh, yeah, if you want some... Yeah. yeah. So I think they needed to win in order to ensure they didn't fall off the pecking order per se or you know they don't lose ground like how Barcelona is losing ground uh, compared to you know hey even 
Real bet or even severe real betis and you know uh, Rayo Vallecano have better shouts at this point than the Barcelona. It's still early days in the season. Don't get me wrong, but um, it's a bit worrying for Barcelona. It is very yeah. worrying for Barcelona. The incredibly so, incredible worrying for Barcelona. <laughs> especially now that I mean, I guess we could sort of uh, talk a bit about that major update that I was talking about, and that's uh, Ronald Coleman being sacked. Oh, I uh, mean, just, you probably just heard it. Get, just before we get to that. Just yeah. before we get to that, I just wanted to go back to that point you made about Ferran Mendy. Yeah. So, I mean, well, number one, Ferran Mendy played pretty well. Admittedly, he Barcelona did. didn't really do much to test him. But, but hey, Ferran yo. Mendy did play well. And I think the reason why he played wasn't as much... Well, it was about them taking El Clasico seriously and wanting to be as resolute the back defensively as they could possibly be. But I think it was also a lot about chemistry. Because... Yeah. I think Ancelotti recognizes that, especially at center back, his his ideal center back pairing is David Alba and Eder Militao, who both yep. played in El Clasico. And I think his ideal defense, you could sort of maybe have some question marks about the right back, but at least three of those four players in defense that he wants to have are Fellow Mendy, David Alba, and Eder Militao. And not only is, you know, replacing Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane about getting two players that are as good as Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane, but it's about replacing the partnership that they had and the chemistry that they had after playing together for so long. Yeah. And the only way they're going to do that is just by playing these guys together and having them get used to playing with each other. So exactly, it wasn't really surprising that much in my mind when Mendy came back because... I think Ancelotti wants to get as many games as possible with Alaba and Militao in the middle, especially. So when they're getting into the later stretches of the season, Real Madrid are very likely in a title race. They know that they have a lot more defensive solidity than when they started the season, when they had to throw Alaba, Militao, Nacho Fernandez, whatever combination of that into the middle to try and replace Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane. I see. Okay. All right. That makes more sense, I suppose. Um, but uh, to sort of uh, go back to the big update I was talking about, Ronald Coleman being sacked. That was the biggest implication of this match, I suppose. I mean, granted, he wasn't sacked just because he lost El Clasico. I mean, it was a series of bad results, you know. Um, that Capped sort off of led him to this. Viacano for the first time in 19 years. Yeah, you know, Ranamos walk out, did them dirty, but, you know, you get what you deserve, mate. Uh, <laughs> and and Oscar Trejo. Don't forget that a very smart American individual who may or may not be on this podcast right now wrote a blog talking. One of those players they talked about was Oscar Trejo from Raya Vallecano. That's broken news mm. for all y'all. <laughs> but, yeah, fair, I fair, mean... Fair. You can make the argument that Ronald Koeman was sacked in the summer. He just wasn't officially sacked in the summer. The moment that John Laporta told him, hey, we're thinking about keeping you on, but give us two weeks to try and find someone better than you before we officially say we're keeping you on, was the moment that Ronald Koeman was sacked. He's been a dead man walking ever since. And it was just a calculus for Barcelona of being able to find someone to replace him, which they largely struggled with until now. And being able to justify the money that it's going to take to sack him, which I believe is around 20 million euros, given, you know, all of Barcelona's financial struggles. Yeah. yeah. And no, I mean, it eventually... Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, um, given the financial struggles, who can they realistically appoint? Because it's going to be Xavi. You're talking about... It's going to be Xavi. Will it be Xavi? Will oh, Xavi yeah, it's be... Gonna be Xavi. 
it's it's choppy. Uh, it's it's going to well, be choppy. <laughs> I was looking at the odds and uh, Mikel Arteta's name. Mikel Arteta's name was there, and I was like, "Hey, not that's not happening." I hope that doesn't happen. I mean, he sort of it was realistically. Getting... If they had their choices, realistically, going to be three people: Xavi, uh, Mikel Arteta, or Roberto Martinez. Because all because of how strong all three of those people's connections are with Barcelona. Oh yeah, that's fair. That's actually a fair point. But um, yeah, it's Xavi. It's Xavi. It's <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves. It's Xavi, right? Yeah. But I mean, do you think Xavi's ready for that big of a step up? Don't get me wrong. I think he's done brilliantly well at El Sadd. He's a consecutive title winner at uh, El Sadd, but it's a different ball game altogether in Barcelona. You're talking about the one of the best clubs in the world. Literally one of the best clubs in the world. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. I think... It's... Yeah. It's tough. Because... It is tough. Ronald Koeman was objectively not doing a good job. Like, I've yeah. seen, you know, people say, oh, why are you firing him? You handed him nothing. And why is anyone, you know, mad at him for these such unrealistic ex- expectations? But, I mean, number one, he did an awful job. Number two, the true expectation now for Barcelona is to finish fourth. Because if they don't finish fourth, that is the end-all doomsday, ten-fire alarm scenario of not having yeah. Champions League football and the financial downfall of not having Champions League football. Even if they don't move on to the knockout stage in the Champions League for the first time, I think it would be the first time in over a decade. The financial aspect of not having additional Champions League games and not getting additional Champions League revenue is incredible. I didn't even think about that aspect of it before until oh, yeah. a few days ago when I read someone talking about it and it's completely passing my mind who I read now. But they're in a crisis. Like, on top they of are. the many crises that they were already in. <laughs> and, like... I think there is a very realistic chance that they don't finish in the top four. I think if Ronald Koeman stays, there there would have been a very, very realistic chance that they don't finish in the top four because you already have Real Madrid, who are in the top four right now, who I think are second. You have Eleiko Madrid, yep. who are not in the top four, but are probably one of the four best teams in Spain. And when they eventually yep. sort of figure it out, they will be one of the four best teams in Spain. You have Sevilla, the aren't necessarily playing all that well right now, but on paper are one of the four best teams in Spain. But you also have uh, La Real, Real Sociedad, who look more and more like a title contender. You have Villarreal, who, when they figure it out, have a chance to be one of the four best teams in Spain. Osasuna, who are playing out of their minds. Uh, Real Betis, who, when they're on, might be one of the best attacking teams in Spain. There's genuine competition for that now. And yeah. this Barcelona team on paper should be finishing at the top four, but you know, football's not played on paper. It, it so isn't. You, uh, I mean, unfortunately for us, it isn't. Yeah, unfortunately for Barcelona, unfortunately for Man United, football's not played on paper. But if you don't have for someone Everton who's actually well, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everton have two. Everton have been burning too much paper. That's the issue. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Komen never got enough out of this team. Komen's style, Komen's sort of footballing philosophy, Komen's just inherent pessimism almost in his press conferences and just how he talked about football, I think, radiated onto the team. And there was just... 
it became increasingly untenable. And I think losing 1-0 to Rio, especially in a first half where Rio dominated Barcelona, I would almost say, then you sort yeah. of have to look at yourself in the mirror and think, he has to go. Right? There well, was no I mean, other choice. Not only has he gone, he's uh, probably not returning back, but the man stepping into the door, Xavi, he has a monumentous task ahead of him to sort of rebuild Barcelona into a great team. A great team akin to what he was playing in um, back in the day, I suppose. Uh, multi-title. And ironically, I mean, some of his teammates he, are still there. <laughs> yeah, ironically, right? I mean, it would be interesting to see how he sort of, uh, you know, stamps his identity into the club uh, as a manager. Should he be appointed? I mean, I say should he be appointed, but he's probably going to be appointed. Who am I kidding? It, it's, pr- it's probably going to be him. Unless I, I, you know, I have some sort of... Uh, prophetic vision you know I prophesy that someone else comes in like how I prophesy the 2-2 draw with Atletico Madrid <laughs> and Lavia yeah. no but Plot twist, I it's think me if, I'm the next Barcelona man oh, nah man you know who they're going they're going to do everyone dirty by appointing some joker I don't know Pep goes back to Barcelona man yo yo that that would be that would be mad that would be mad but it's not going to happen alright okay Barcelona rebuilt a lot of trouble. Real Madrid, you know, good on them for securing all three points. Uh, very much needed uh, during this period of transition. Um, but then but they also drew Milton of... Osasuna. So. so, still... And played like fairly poorly in that game too. So, you know, La League is up in the Period of transition. It is up in the air. Um, nevertheless, important question for you. How did you feel about Atletico Madrid and Real Sociedad game? See, now that was a high-level game of football. It was. I would dare say that was the game that was played at the highest level when it comes to two teams going against each other in that day. And it's very rare that you can say that about a game that happens on the same day as El Clasico. Yeah. I guess, you know, on, on that note, uh, a couple of things to sort of uh, point out. Luis Suarez is still the man for Atletico up front, um, despite his uh, tender age of... what? How old is he now? Any 35? <laughs> he he is... might very well be 34. He's 35. Uh, oh, wow. Um, he's born 24 January, a day before me. Day, month-wise, not year. He's much older than me, but... Um, yeah, 34 this year, 35 in two two months' time. Interesting. Um, well, I mean, he's still, still going strong at that age. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is... Uh, I mean, the whole uh, idea that you're past your prime, it's it's sort of going out the window with you know all these footballing gods like Ibrahimovic, Ronaldo, Messi and Suarez, I suppose, but still doing it at, you know, <laughs> their respective ages. Uh, mid to late 30s well I guess Latan is 40 but um, I think I want to talk about Alexander Isaac Isaac I don't know how you pronounce his name I'm just going to call him Alex you know I'm I think it's my boy Isaac. Alex here is it Isaac? Isaac it is man. I think it's Isaac he's so good what a player mate I mean he's this so is his good. breakout I mean 
this is a season, not breakout season per se, but I think this is the season where he cements himself on that world stage where he's going to be telling all the clubs around the world, hey, look at me, week in, week out, I'm going to get you those goals. Previously, I didn't do it week in, week out. This season, just just watch me, alright? Just watch me. And that's what he's been doing. He's been scoring for, for fun, I think. Um, even yesterday, right? Was it yesterday? I guess today, no. for me... Uh, he scored against uh, Celta Vigo. Oh yeah, uh, yeah this yeah, morning. It was, yeah, it would be today for me as well. Yeah, he scored against Celta today. Yeah, yeah. Celta Vigo. So like, you know, what a player, what a what a buy by uh, La Real. I'll be and the real be the real thing is, they were mm-hmm. really smart to increase his buyout clause this summer. Yeah, or this past they summer. know for a fact. They know for because it used to be entirely know. too low. <laughs> How much was it before this? Any idea? I think it was somewhere in like the 30 or 40 million euro range. Ah, yeah, now... And they've since doubled it? Clauses. So 90 million, actually. 90 so million euros, doubled wow. It now. And that was yeah, all I mean, the smart. season that he scored 17 goals in 34 games. Which you can, you know, like effectively call his breakout year. But he's yeah. he rolled that into the Euros with Sweden. He's now rolling that into first team with Real Sociedad where even in a Real Sociedad team that's butchered by injuries he's still able to take over or at least take over a first half yeah 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 for sure for sure I mean I I, I do have to say that I think it'll be interesting to see how he sort of I mean I think he knows for a fact that he has a lot to prove uh, to sort of Everyone, I suppose. Because, I mean, if you think about next generational talent, right? People often talk about two strikers in, in general. Uh, Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe. You know, Isak hasn't really been in that picture to casual fans. You know, he needs to sort of establish himself in that light, in that vein. I mean, people who are serious about f- football, people who, you know, do their homework on football know how good a player he is. But... To the casual fan, especially to the dunderhead that only watches the Premier League, you know, no one would know him per se. And I think this is the season. If he if he goes all out for Real Sociedad, if he does well in the World Cup with Sweden, because I mean, unless he's getting injured, knock on wood, he's going to be playing in that World Cup. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think. Um, it's going to be interesting because I think this summer there's going to be a lot of teams looking for strikers and there's going to be a lot of teams looking at Erling Holland. And for the teams that don't end up winning the Erling Holland sweepstakes, I think there's going to be a lot of names fluttered around and I'm not sure how many teams are going to give Isak the attention he deserves. Even, or especially teams outside of Spain. I think Real Madrid has been looking at him for a while now, but... Well, given his release clause going up and given the fact Real Sociedad could be in the Champions League uh, next year, it might be difficult to peel him away for anything that's not a lot of money. But, I mean, Newcastle United, <laughs> if you want a number nine, here he is. I mean, to be honest, right, that would be a sick buy. Uh, <laughs> would really be a smart investment, not some sort maybe of... You can, I mean, they, they can also rectify a mistake from the past and go and buy back Nicole Marino as well. They could, they could, they could, they could until, <laughs> yo, uh, Newcastle United would be very interesting to see, uh, 
it'll be very interesting to see how they perform in the coming transfer windows. But before we start deviating to that point, um, any thoughts on any other thoughts on the fixture? What does this mean? <coughs> what does this mean for both teams? I suppose. You know, it's a two-two draw. Well, for, firstly, um, to cover to cover in the order of the halves in which they played well. Firstly, Ralph yeah. and Dad were so good in the first half. Not just like Isaac himself, like as a team, as a unit, even with all the injuries that they had. Um, the player who I said is their best player and one of the best players in the league, and Kelly Arthur was out injured. Um, there was another midfielder that I can't remember who was out injured. Uh, Isaiah Yarmendi was out injured. They were without a first team left back. Anthony Gorosbel, who's their normally their first team right back, was playing left back. Um, mm. They had to sort of throw Alexander Sorloth up front in a very Scandinavian pairing with Alex Isaac. Uh, David Silva played in the middle. He wasn't exactly great, but he got the job done. And just like as a unit, they rolled out a three at the back for I think the first time in ages. And at Lake Madrid, and it seemed like at Lake Madrid were looking at him and they had no earthly idea how to break him down. Yeah. I think people on the outside were looking at Real Sociedad thinking, how in God's name do you break this team down? What are they even doing? And that is yeah. their manager. That is Imanol. I'm not going to say his last name. I'm not going to say that complex Basque last name. But I think that's the genius <laughs> of him. That's the genius of their system. That's the genius of their, you know, their development of these young players like Lerman, Zubeldia, um, I guess you can throw Mikel Marino in there, Guevara, Grosabel, who are very well-rounded and very smart technical players and are able to be adapted like yep. this. And it also shows a maturity in Real Sociedad that I don't think was there in the last few years. A maturity in, even though they did draw, they didn't win this game. A maturity in being more resolute and not just focused on scoring a bajillion number of goals. I think they showed yeah. it against Celta today. Yeah, I think it would have been today, my time. Yeah, uh, today, your time as well. But they're a lot more resolute defensively than they've been in the past. That's partially down to uh, Lionel Mondanello Stunde of both started the season well, but I think it's systemically in, in their mindset as well. They're a lot more solid of a team than they were before. And I definitely think that makes them a genuine, at least sort of dark horse title threat this season, especially when they get healthy and when they get guys like oh, you have the ball back into the team. I think they can be very, very dangerous. Yeah. I think, I mean, you're not wrong about that at all. I, I, what I do want to add here is that it's clearly a sort of uh, meet that title race of sorts uh, that bit more exciting with the draw because it sort of narrows the gap. Well, I say that and then everyone sort of screws up yesterday, right? Like, yeah, and then really everyone draws. <laughs> That everyone yeah, I'm like, well, what? So, yeah, so uh, also, Matty Ryan plays for them. You remember Matty Ryan? Uh, isn't the guy uh, that played for Arsenal on loan for a bit? As yeah, well, right? who went on loan to Arsenal. Yeah, he's their backup now. I didn't know that. Oh, small world. Well, good, good for him. Good for him. All right, is there anything else that you want to talk about for La Liga? Uh, just to quickly give a little bit of plaudits to Atletico Madrid, because there's, there's some good and some bad to talk about. Them. I mean, notably, it's yeah. the first time that Griezmann Suarez and Joao Felix have started together. Mm-hmm. It wasn't great, but they grew into it in the second half. 
I think yeah. Suarez has mastered the art of doing nothing for 70 minutes and then scoring two goals and being the decisive player, which is perfect for someone who's getting near his age. Um, <laughs> Raul de Paul and Tomal Lamar remain really good midfielders, but their defense is a problem. And it's mm-hmm. very rare that you can say that about a Diego Simeone team, that they're scoring more than one goal per game, but their defense does not work. And... I think Atletico Madrid, I don't know if they will be because I don't know what their financial situation is, but I think they should be in the market for a center back in January. Because, especially if they want to play this for the back system to try and make Griezmann, Suarez, and draw Felix work. Because, I mean, Renan Lodi is already a fairly vacant defensive left back. I don't think Mario Hermoso works well in a back two. And Felipe was good for like a season and a half, and we're not in that season and a half anymore. Mm. Stefan Savic and Jose Maria Jimenez on a good day are basically their only two pretty solid center backs that can play in the back four and I don't necessarily think it's a system I think it's more personnel but I think it was interesting that it appears that Diego Simeone is aware of this and while it may have been a translation error it appears he may be concerned about this which is very interesting to hear him actually admit in a press conference so he all he's talked about a lot, you know, finding the balance in the team, trying to balance between the attacking players and between the defense. And it's clear that they haven't found that balance yet. But if they do find that balance, then this team is going to be very, very good. It's just mm. a question of do they have to keep conceding two goals all the time in order to kick into gear? Or not necessarily oh. concede two goals, but keep going behind before they actually start playing. True, 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 true. No, I guess, yeah, I mean, to sort of conclude with that point as well, you know, it, it was definitely a weekend, or rather week of uh, excitement, thrill, and spills, I suppose. I mean, no one expects... Barcelona to lose two games in a row but I guess given the circumstances you can expect that um, it'll be interesting to see who sort of takes over the Barcelona hot seat but as you mentioned you know that's not the only sort of piece of news or piece of um, or rather storyline that people want to follow in the La Liga um, Atletico Madrid are showing what they can do with the Griezmann Forest Joao Felix front three La Riel are on fire um, with the injuries that they have. I mean, all things said and done. Can you imagine this La Riel side with the injuries back in the starting lineup? <laughs> I think you know, that's going to be incredible. <laughs> right. I mean, Real Madrid, um, El Clasico, during the El Clasico fixture, you might have thought, uh, you know, they might have it sorted out potentially, but then they go on to drop it. Uh, Osasuna, is it? Osasuna, yeah. I believe that yeah, was the first again, time that uh, Real Madrid have drawn four consecutive home games since 1996. Yeah, and you know, that sort of paints another picture there that it's, it is a period of transition. It's a reminder that a transition is ongoing as we speak. I mean, I guess uh, Sevilla Real Betis are also in the fight for the title. It's anyone's game, uh, or it's anyone's title, rather, to, to, to put it uh, out there. It really is, and I think uh, 
it's high time that people start watching the La Liga more. And if you haven't started, it's it's about time you start, mate. Because uh, it is interesting. And if you're a United fan like me, maybe it's time to switch over to uh, the La Liga for a bit before United. Yeah, maybe you know, maybe it's time to send your fandom well. out on loan in the January transfer window. <laughs> we should. Uh, maybe that's, that's, that's a good shout, actually. Uh, all right. Uh, one that, final, one final we... piece. One final piece on La Liga, just to advocate for go a little ahead. bit. If you have not seen the highlights already, for anyone who's listening to this, go look up the highlights for Sevilla and Levante, who played on Sunday. The game finished five to three. There were three incredible goals scored in that game. One by I think Oliver Torres, one by Munir, and one by um, Jose Morales. Go watch those highlights. They're incredible. If you haven't already, you should do that. Um, which could mean two things for the casual viewer. Either, you know, La Liga is filled with attacking talents that are ready to rip any defences apart, or La Liga doesn't have good defences. But... Uh, <laughs> hey, it's know, all about I, entertainment. I, I, people want to see good goals. I'm just telling the people where to find those good goals. Go and watch the highlights, alright guys, if you haven't already. I guess on that uh, great note for Sevilla and somber note for Levante, um, and positive notes for all the fans. Entertainment is always positive. This has been Vikram. This has been Jack. And we are the Soccer Kaki's podcast team. Tune in for our next episode where we talk about United, uh, Everton, and Leon. But yeah, we have to talk about United. It's called ripping the bandaid off. Um, we're delving into yep. our misery. Stay tuned for that. See you guys.